views and opinions on the following program are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Oldies 1079, WOLD, or SRN Communications. It's time now for Here's the Thing, a show that's all about you with your host, Lauren Cardinal, a board-certified hypnotist and results coach. If you're looking to make a positive change this year, learn lifelong tools to reduce stress and be present. If you're stuck and need to remove the blocks that are from success and happiness in the areas of your life, or if you want to get a new perspective on things, well, it's time to talk to Lauren Cardinal. To talk to Lauren, call 732 748 1079. That's 732 748 1079. And now, here's your host, Lauren Cardinal. Hello, and thank you for joining me for Here's the Thing. I'm Lauren Cardinal, your host. Is it time for change? If you want to change your life, it starts with changing your mind. Thank you for listening and welcome. I'm grateful to those of you listening live on 107.9 FM or online right now and to the Sussex County listening audience at 97.5 FM. And thank you to my podcast listeners far and wide. Thank you. Do you have a friend who somehow manages to revert every topic of conversation back to himself or the colleague who's always bragging about having the latest greatest whatever, or the family member who thinks she's smarter and just generally better than you at everything, chances are you've encountered a narcissist. But sometimes the signs of narcissism are a little bit more nuanced. They're not always as obvious as pop culture talk would have us believe or Wikipedia would tell us. And yes, When you're sitting here hearing that, how would you spot a narcissist? You've heard me say, if you've spotted it, you got it. So does that mean if you're able to spot a narcissist that you are a narcissist? Well, not exactly. While we can all identify a narcissist, it's because the quality is in all of us, but a certain amount of it is actually healthy it is possible to have some traits of narcissism without having full-blown, clinically diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. But when the narcissism starts to have serious negative impact on everyday life and relationships, it is an impairment outside of the normal. So tonight, we are talking about dealing with manipulative people, particularly the narcissist. And first off, Tonight's show is brought to you by North Star Asset Management, investment advisors located in Panther Valley with over 30 years of investment experience. You can check them out online at www.nstarinvest.com. They've been helping people create long-term success with their financial plans by choosing the appropriate withdrawal rate. If you're at a distance from their location and you're not sure if you're in their service area, You can reach out to John or Andrew. They often do house calls. They may be in your service area and and may be able to come to you. For more information, call 908-850-9991. That's 908-850-9991. Or find them online at www. 
www.nstarinvest.com. Now, for those of you who were able to join me last week, the last live show was about addiction. And I had a special guest, Brian McAllister from Full Recovery Wellness Center, joined us for a great conversation about addiction and recovery. If you want to know more about what was discussed on the show, or if you'd like to hear the show again, you can find that podcast, as well as all of my previous show's podcasts, on my website, which is www.laurencardinal.com. And again, I'd like to welcome the Sussex County listening audience to the show. They're listening on WRSK 97.5 FM, broadcasting from Sussex County Community College on Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. The shows are recorded live here on WOLD on Monday nights at 7 p.m. So for the Sussex County listeners, if you'd like to listen live or call into the show, you can listen on Monday nights from 7 to 8 on 107.9 WOLD Radio. You can listen to the show on the Internet at WOLDradio.com or through the TuneIn Radio app on your phone. Great. So now on with the show. You're listening to Here's the Thing. I am your host, Lauren Cardinal, board-certified hypnotist and results coach, and tonight we're talking about dealing with manipulative people, particularly the narcissist. If you have a situation in dealing with someone difficult in your life, at work, at home, or in your family, the lines are open, 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. So, what is narcissism? Well, it's defined as individuals who exhibit a lack of ability to empathize with others and an inflated sense of self-importance. I mean, doesn't that, at certain times, doesn't that describe just about everyone? I know I can relate to that. But gentlemen by the name of W. Keith Campbell, Ph.D., and he, as the head of the Department of Psychology at the University of Georgia, says that there's a range of narcissism and people are on a continuum and that most people are sort of in the middle. Oh, some are more extreme than others. When you think about the people that you come into contact with every day, whether it be a friend, a romantic partner, or a colleague, Listen, because I'm going to mention some things, and you can see if any of them ring a bell with you. And if so, you may be dealing with a narcissist. So first off, they're likable, at least at first glance. They make great first impressions. I found a quote online that says, Narcissists learn that if they flatter and charm the right people, they get a free pass to abuse others because no one believes the victims. It just it sounds like it's from a movie, right? Can't we picture movies where that's the case and people are just charming their way through life and how could how could that person possibly be wrong? And that's not the full definition of a narcissist, but I think we can all relate to what that quality represents. And not all narcissists are loud and proud. In fact, some are quiet and shy. They can often be found in leadership roles. And not that that makes them good leaders, but leadership roles. They're strongly averse to criticism. And while no one can honestly say that they like receiving criticism, people with narcissism are pretty hypersensitive to it. 
And excuses are a narcissist's best friend. Narcissists tend to externalize blame, pinning the blame on everyone but themselves. They're good at making excuses and not taking credit for mistakes they make. And with a narcissist, everything is personal, particularly in the quieter narcissists. There may not be signs of overt self-reference and promotion, but there's a defensiveness and reactive anger if they're not recognized or if they can't get their way. If you do something to the narcissist that he doesn't like, it means that you're against him or you don't understand him or you're undermining him. And I say he because 50 to 75% of the people diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder are male. Sorry, guys. The narcissist also has unreasonable expectations of favorable treatment. And a narcissistic person probably has no idea that he or she is a narcissist. A narcissistic person probably is unaware and if it's brought to his or her attention would easily dismiss it. Narcissism in itself is sort of a, a double whammy, not just because you have the disturbances or believe you're special in some way more than others, but because those things in and of themselves will prevent you from seeing that you have these problems. And the more shy narcissists, they may also experience symptoms of depression or anxiety. And those other things may spur them to get professional help. But the grandiose people, because they feel superior or because they may even have initial success, they're very unlikely to seek treatment. And I mentioned the, the nuances of the narcissist because I think in general our idea of the narcissist is that superficial, best of everything, extrovert, over and above, grandiose personality. And it's not always that way. There are far more subtle ways that somebody can have narcissistic personality traits. And again, on the continuum, there can be moderate or mild narcissistic tendencies, and there can be the, the personality disorder, which of course would only be diagnosed by a therapist. Or, um, how do we say, at least come to the conclusion of. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal, board-certified hypnotist and results coach. And tonight we're talking about manipulative behavior, particularly the narcissist. If you have information to share or want to ask a question or offer advice on what's worked for you in a manipulative relationship, please call 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. As always, it's a dialogue. I look forward to sharing and receiving and just opening up the dialogue for everyone to learn. If you have an experience of something that's worked for you, that's a great thing to share, particularly when we're talking about manipulative relationships. Now, there's in the research that I was doing, actually, let me take one step back and I frequently talk about how this subject matter came to be for this week's show. And usually it's a culmination of events that seem to happen at the same time. And there has been a lot of discussion that's come to my mind in the past week, maybe two weeks, about narcissistic behaviors. People talking about a family member 
or a relationship. Some things I've seen on Facebook about uh, Facebook. I mean, about a narcissist. In fact, the one that I saw recently about narcissists on Facebook talk about um, sociopathic narcissist. Whew. Um, nonetheless, the subject matter came together in that way for me. So in my research, looking at narcissistic personality disorder and manipulative relationships, I came upon a gentleman by the name of Dr. George Simon. He's a psychologist and he's written several psychology books. The one that struck my attention was, is called In Sheep's Clothing, Understanding and Dealing with Manipulative People. And Dr. Simon says that traditionally we learned that people act the way they do because of childhood pain and because of unresolved uh, of unresolved heart, heart issues in terms of emotions. And therefore, unconditional love and support can heal them. There's also said to be a component of ge genetics as well in the narcissist. But it's interesting that he also talks about that manipulative people are not acting unconsciously. They are acting consciously. They know what they're doing. What? Anyone that's been in abusive relationships, whether it's toxic, exploitative, anything, it has brought into the notion that people are largely unaware of what they do. It's kind of like if you can just figure out what the underlying trauma is, what the underlying wound is, what the unmet need is that's underlying the person's unhealthy behavior towards you, then you could fix it and everything would just be fine. And that you really just need to show understanding. I know that's what I've come to believe. And we've talked about that, even in terms of dealing with other people that it's not personal and that that other person, what's what's behind, what could be behind it? What could they be dealing with? What could be the wound that they're dealing with to cause that behavior? So I found what I was reading from this gentleman fascinating. He also says that while we teach that only hurt people hurt people, his experience is that it's not the case, that it doesn't apply to all people. There are resilient people out there who are less studied and that hurt people can survive and thrive. When people hurt, it's a result of essential life lessons they need to learn to build character. It's what they don't get in the way of character-building experiences that makes all the difference, as he says. So what this does is teaches us not to judge behavior on its own merits. And behavior, actions speak louder than words. It's not what a person says, what a person does that defines their character. And he is a big proponent of that the best single predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And people in difficult or abusive relationships have to learn the hard way. It is futile to try to dig up all of the possible reasons for someone's behavior. If the behavior is toxic, abusive, or uncaring, we need to take action to put ourselves in a better position. And interestingly, Dr. Simon was also talks about shame. And that shame is good. Now hear me out. Because he's talking about shame in the smaller sense. 
He says that shame is good when it causes people to think twice before acting. And that many times character disordered people don't have the same empathy, the same guilt. They don't have the same shame. And so it doesn't affect a change in their behavior or a um, stoppage in their behavior. And there are different kinds of shame. This is the part that I want to make sure I include. There are different kinds of shame. There's a type of shame that's very toxic to a person's sense of self. Shaming having to do with who you are as a person as opposed to a behavior. And this is an, an integral difference, very important difference. I think of it going back to the things I used to discuss about parenting, about whether we classify children as good kids or bad kids, or if we say good girl or bad girl. And the idea then was to focus on the behavior. It's the difference between that was a good thing you did rather than you are good for doing that. Shame for who you are as a person would be along the lines of you're a bad person for doing that rather than that thing you did was bad. Does that make sense? And it can be covert as well. There are things that we can hear people saying in passing that kind of are in the gray area between whether it's a judgment call on the person or the behavior. But I always think about it in terms of what is the individual receiving that comment coming away feeling? How would you feel if you were the recipient of that comment? And not that the comment is something that you would repeat. It's just a way to begin to discern whether it's a comment about shame as a person or shame as a behavior. And for years, the research has told us that guilt was an okay thing to experience, but that shame was never okay. And in the last seven or eight years of research, that started to change in that shame can be beneficial for the change that it can affect because change never comes out of a sense of guilt. And that was Dr. Simon's experience. He said in all of the patients he's seen over the many, many years, there was never a change that he saw that was a result of guilt. Shame, yes, but not guilt. And it reminded me that Dr. Wayne Dyer wrote a book ages ago, and I thought I remembered the title of it, but rather than uh, sending anyone on a wild goose chase, I'll just say it was in an early book. I think it was written in the 70s. He mentioned that guilt and fear are two useless emotions. Now, he was talking in a different sense that guilt is useless emotion because it serves to change you. And once you've been changed out of that feeling, then you're not the same person. You wouldn't do that behavior again. And so, therefore, the guilt that you're feeling about it is useless because you're a different person now. Fear. I can't remember what he said about fear. And we had a whole show about fear that we could have done two or three shows on fear. So the fact that it's a useless emotion, I think, would be a pretty hard sell for all of us. <laughs> now, abusers, in terms of guilt or shame. Abusers feel badly after the abuse. We know this. They feel badly every single time. But that doesn't stop them from doing it again. The only thing that stops them is when they no longer like the person that they've become. 
or they want a new image or character. Now, Dr. Simon says that the defining illness of our time is not so much that we see people on the public stage doing reprehensible things, because we've seen that for ages. For ages. It's been happening for a long time. What's really new is how shamelessly some of the things are done. It's the mark of the narcissism of our time. And I hear that a lot. I hear the term narcissism far more, I would say, in the last three or four years than I ever heard in the rest of my lifetime combined. And as we are discovering things, just in pop culture and psychology, however it comes to be, obviously we're going to hear more about it. But that term narcissism, it definitely seems to be a description for, I don't know if I want to say our culture, but certainly used far more frequently now. Would you agree? And there are lessons learned from failure. It is distress tolerance that seems to be a differentiator with the narcissistic personality. Sort of that life owes me a good time is kind of how a it's a narcissistic approach. And Reading about that, the lessons learned from failure, distress tolerance, it reminded me just this past week I saw a TED Talk from Angela Lee, uh, is it Buckworth? Duckworth, with a D like David, Angela Lee Duckworth. And she was talking about the studies that she's done as a psychologist on success and predictors of success. And they studied IQ, and they studied academic achievement, and grades, and study habits, and various combinations of these things. And the one thing that they were able to come to is that the true mark and greatest predictor of success was the term she used as grit. Perhaps we can qualify that as perseverance, but it's that distress tolerance it's being able to persevere, to stick with a goal day after day in the doldrum state, if that's the case, to persevere and to have grit. And ironically, at the end of this six-minute TED Talk, she said, unfortunately, they haven't been able to determine how to teach grit. So that's the next, the next phase of her research, I guess. Um, but for the narcissist who feels that life owes me a good time, that grit and that perseverance may just not be there. So those character-building experiences, we love those character-building experiences, don't we? That's what made somebody the most predictable, to predictably successful. So... It kind of leads me back to the discussion from last week about addiction and talking about type 1 addiction, which was more using the substances as a means of coping rather than the type 2, which are those individuals with the brain illness that have a different reaction to the substance than the general population, let's say alcohol. So I wonder about the distress tolerance in relation to 
what we discussed about maintaining the dopamine levels in type 1 addicts. And I don't know. If anyone wants to weigh in on that, I'm just thinking out loud here. That relationship for using, if we have distress, if we don't have the distress tolerance, then what are the chances that our dopamine levels are taking a dip? And that seemed to be the greatest predictor in using and abusing substances on a regular basis as a means of coping. So it just got me thinking that that distress tolerance may be more than just a predictor of success. Just a thought. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal, board-certified hypnotist and results coach. And tonight we're talking about manipulative behavior, particularly the narcissist. If you have information to share, you want to ask a question or offer advice on what's worked for you, please call 732-748-1079. You know, there are so many of us that hang out with people's potential for years, believing that love conquers all. Manipulative people know this, and they'll give you just enough to reel you in so that you say, oh, she gets it. It's interesting. Dr. Simon calls this the slot machine syndrome. You invest, you invest, you invest, you invest, and every now and then you get one of those tiny payoffs, a crumb or two. They give you a ray of hope, and you think, ah, maybe I won't lose it all. Maybe if I invest just a little bit more, I won't lose it all. And when life is taught enough lessons, and people are sick and tired of being sick and tired, which is also a reference back to 12-step program, and they're ready to take a serious look at themselves, a radically different form of therapy can be beneficial to someone who's had a lifetime of character disturbances. And we have Dr. Marty on the line to talk with us. We're coming up on a break soon, but let's say hello to Dr. Marty. Marty, are you there? I am here, Lauren. I've been listening to your program and enjoying it, and thank you for the invitation earlier in the day. It's nice to be there with you. I'm glad that you could join us. You bet. So Hmm? you've been listening to the show so far, and Dr. Marty, I know that you work with people as a therapist in relationships as well as particularly marriage relationships. Mm -hmm. Based on what I was saying in your experience, what thoughts would you add to that? Well, I'm thinking about as I approach folks and who are dealing with this, what my area of expertise, a lot of that I focus on is if you're married to a narcissist or your child is narcissistic or your parent is narcissistic, I'm talking about an adult person, is how do you go about dealing with this sort of iron-plated personality that everything bounces off of them? They've got Kevlar emotionally. And so... That's the area that I focus on, and I agree with a lot of things that you're saying. And for me, there's a several uh, directions, and I'll give you one or two, and then I'm interested in your feedback in our dialogue, is I think a place to start, if you are married to someone who is, for example, who is narcissistic, the very first thing to do is to develop your own positive self-image, that you're mm-hmm. liking yourself and you're not going to let yourself be shaken by the fact that this other person may be hard to deal with. Because so many people I see who are married to a narcissist feel very fragile and suggestible and not very sure of themselves. Let me stop with that. Is I don't know what your thoughts are about that or how that fits with some of the information you have about narcissism. 
Well, it's interesting. You're talking, and I definitely have some ideas about that, and I think we could really get into it. I'm looking at the time, and I want to take a, a quick break. Can we sure. regenerate this conversation right after we get back from break? Do you have time for that? I am delighted to be here, and of course. Okay, great. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and we will be back in just a minute. For those of you who are retired or close to it, have you taken the time to conduct a safe withdrawal rate analysis? If you're like me, you've spent a lifetime saving for retirement and now you want to make sure that it lasts. Few things are more important to the long-term success of your financial plan than choosing an appropriate withdrawal rate and establishing that rate early on can make all the difference. The investment advisors at North Star Asset Management in Panther Valley can help you determine what withdrawal rate is right for you. They've been working with retirees in the area for the past 30 years. For more information, the number to call is 908-850-9991. That's 908-850-9991. Or find them on the web at nstarinvest.com. And now back to Here's the Thing, a show that's all about you on WOLD and your host, Lauren Cardinal, a board-certified hypnotist and results coach. If you'd like to speak to Lauren, you can call in at 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. Let's get back to the show with your host, Lauren Cardinal. Hello, and thank you for joining us. We're back after the break. You're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal, and we have Dr. Marty on the line. Dr. Marty is a show, uh, the host of a show on Tuesday nights on WOLD. Dr. Marty is a therapist and marriage counselor. Anything else that you'd like to add to that description of your services, Marty? I think that is just fine. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I, the so, other thing I would add on is, is I'm located in Somerset with associate offices across the state of New Jersey. Great, great. Okay. So if people go to the, your website, they can find all of the different locations. Yep, the yourmarriagecounselor.com. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Sure. So before the break, we were talking about narcissistic behavior in marriages, and you mentioned something about teenagers as well. Let's pick up where we left off. You asked me a question. Please remind me of that question. Sure. I was talking about how important it is to develop a positive self-image when you're, uh, yes. when you're have a relationship with somebody who is narcissistic. And you thought and you had some thoughts as a result of that in terms of your your experience. Well the positive self image absolutely because I think the um <clears throat> and, and just what I've been reading is that with the narcissist who may be a little bit more subtle that the individual involved in a relationship with a narcissist might come away feeling like they're a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, how did that how did that get turned around? Like, mm -hmm. what? What just happened here? So maintaining that strong sense of self and that foundation is really important. Mm -hmm. If there's no Bob Dylan song called It Ain't Me, Babe, and the theme of that is it isn't me, it's you, um, and certainly exactly what you said, you can leave a conversation going, did I get the number of that emotional truck that just hit me? And <laughs> And to add on, if it's okay, um, the other thing that's important for someone who is connected, married to a narcissist, 
is learning how to reduce your own angry response. So now you've developed a positive self-image mm-hmm. and you want to mm-hmm. push back. And how uh, one of the things that borderline personalities can be extremely provocative. And because they're here one moment, they're not, they deny what they said, etc. And it's easy to get really, really torqued at them. And the next piece of work to be done, not to be discussed necessarily here, but how do you go about reducing anger when you're provoked? But that's a second element in terms of being able to cope with somebody who is narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Please, I want to stop and at this point. Go ahead, please. I, I, I think that not allowing yourself to get angered, not allowing your buttons to get pushed, mm-hmm. is one of the more difficult things to accomplish. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and part of it is the conversations we have in our head, and I think in different programs you've talked about that as well. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. all write... We write stories, and the stories, and I'm, my guess is that this is something you're very familiar with and have probably mentioned on the air, is in the stories that we write, we are either the heroes or the victims. Mm. And mm-hmm. with that being so, is how do you write a story that you calm yourself down where you do not make yourself a victim, but you find a third position where you are the person who learns how to nurture and take care of yourself, which from hearing you speak is a thing that you, that you talk about a great deal, how you nurture yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Particularly when, when the individuals, and I have a few individuals in my mind right now that I'm thinking of who mm-hmm. recently talked about being in relationship, whether it's parental child or spouse in terms of a narcissist, mm-hmm. the caring is there. And mm-hmm. when you have that empathy and that caring, it's difficult to create that distance. But by continuing the participation, you're giving energy to that, to that individual who mm-hmm. thrives on that energy in order to kind of like, it's like the, it's kind of like the blood for the energy vampire. Mm-hmm. It just sucks it out of you. Yeah. And it's difficult mm-hmm. to get distance, to not allow yourself to be charged up by it, but also to get the appropriate distance, where to set those boundaries, how to set those boundaries. Exactly so. The, it's very much so, and I think you're right on target in terms of a narcissist, setting those boundaries and limitations. And I have some thoughts, and, and I'll just list one or two of them, and then I'm interested how that pairs with your experience. Mm-hmm. One of the things is, you have to believe that the boundaries you're setting are worthwhile. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then secondarily, you have to be in a place where you're prepared to reinforce, like you were talking about kids and adults, you don't just set a boundary, but you have to be prepared to enforce that boundary. Because the first time with the narcissist that you set it and don't enforce it is the last time a boundary is ever going to be taken significantly. Right, and I think that that's probably where the line gets crossed so so much, particularly with that need and that interest, that normal desire to engage and have a bond with the people that we love, that, mm-hmm. oh, well, she really didn't mean it, and so I just, you know, I let it go that time, and, and then it, that boundary mm-hmm. is no longer reinforced. And I think if we hold the if folks hold the mirror to themselves, and when they quote forgive unquote as part of that, how much is part of them their need to be accepted, and how much is mm. part of their need not to be rejected? 
And you'll find with partners of folks who have um, dealing with uh, borderline personalities, narcissistic personalities, that one of the things that's in common is there's a tremendous fear both on the person with the borderline personality and the person who's their partner. There's a, tr- there's a terror about being abandoned, about not being good enough. And so we don't reinforce the boundaries because we don't really believe in ourselves or the authenticity of the boundaries that have been set. Mm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. wondering, you know, your thoughts about that. Well, I think the, the boundaries are essential. Mm-hmm. And when a behavior is inappropriate, it's inappropriate. Yeah. And, and setting it doesn't really them, matter yeah. what prompts it. But it's hard and because, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it won't get better unless the behavior is confronted and has a consequence. It's exactly right. Not unlike a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would say, I mean, would you agree that everyone goes through different periods of sort of the narcissistic behavior? And the teenager classically is, mm-hmm. is narcissistic. It kind of goes with the territory. Yeah, and I think not to be sexist about it, but teenage girls even more so. Interesting. Yeah, are we going to, am I going to get letters about that or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, and interesting also because in what I was reading about it said that 50 to 75% of the people diagnosed with n- narcissistic personality disorder are males. I, w- I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Uh, my point being is teenage girls who are not necessarily narcissistic in terms of their personality but developmentally are in the narcissistic phase will there are more likely girls to be more self-involved and more involved in the details where teenage boys um, not all but many are kind of oblivious to some of the subtleties mm-hmm now, I don't know if sure. that's you know, if that's been your experience you know on professional personal level or not about boys are not as sharp or sensitive to some of the the, the uh, emotional factors as their counterpart girls are well, I certainly think that the that girls are are more connected with that part of the brain. Let's say. Mm-hmm. It's Very been my so. experience in raising two boys that the sensitivity is certainly there, but the ability to connect with it and speak mm-hmm. to it and react to it or react on it mm-hmm. isn't as easy to connect to. It's more readily available for girls. Yep, there's good news and bad news in that package. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit more muted on the one side. On the other side is there are some pieces that are missed that um, are valuable. Sure, sure. No, no, go ahead. So when somebody has a relationship with a narcissist, whether it's mm-hmm. a coworker or a family member or a spouse, mm-hmm. how do you usually approach how they deal with that relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first, going back to initially what we're talking about, we want to talk about their own self-image, part of that. Mm-hmm. And also, along with it, is beginning to get some emotional insulation because the other person tends to personalize the attacks and things that are happening. And being able to have an emotional arm's length, sometimes I talk to people, and I think I might have heard this one of your broadcasts, is imagine your own best friend, uh, did you ever say that in any of the broadcasts? I thought I remember hearing that. But Perhaps. Anyway, yeah. A- anyway, it's, it's, if you step back and say, what would you tell your best friend if you heard that their partner was saying this? Or doing oh, yes. This? Yes. Okay. And 
I would take the technique you suggested and use that as they, they depersonalize it and move back from the aggressive and negative behavior and, and setting the boundaries, of course. Being able to deal with conflict, not be conflict avoidant, but being able to set the boundaries and also when someone set the verbal boundaries as well. And the last part is learning how to be empathetic. Because there may be some times where the narcissistic person feels very wounded and there's an opportunity to connect with them with having your boundaries crossed. So in the basic idea is the self-image, dealing with the, not personalizing the aggressive behavior, reducing some of the anger that you feel, learning how to set boundaries, and then mm-hmm. learning how to be empathetic. Those would be the, the kind of touchstones that I would use in working with somebody. I don't know if that answers okay. your question. That's that sounds like a great approach, Thank and you. that that boundaries. You know, one of the things, and you can share your experience on sure. this. That in reading, and I I don't know that I've experienced this with my clients mm-hmm. personally, mm-hmm. but I haven't asked the question either. Mm-hmm. That there's a gentleman that I was speaking of earlier in the show, Dr. George Simon, mm-hmm. and he was saying that what went we often end up doing is devoting attention to the individual and devoting our energy into whatever's going on with that other person. And whenever mm-hmm. our energy is directed outward to the things that we have no power to control, mm-hmm. that that is the behavioral formula for depression. That's how you get yourself struck. I mean, stuck. Mm-hmm. Where we have the power, which is what you were saying, is over our own be- behavior or self-image, being confident, mm-hmm. Um, finding the things that we need to put our attention to to invest our energy, investing in ourselves, because that is the formula for joy. Absolutely. There's a lot to do with a sense of empowerment is a very important psychological, emotional stable. When you feel empowered, the quality of your life and the opportunity to have a happy life is not guaranteed but well on its way. When you feel disempowered, then depression and anger are sort of exchange, and you even run through a cycle. Sometimes you get depressed, and then you get angry, and then you go back to being depressed and run the cycle, all revolving around the maypole of disempowerment, not being able to be empowerment, control, either of those aspects. And it's an important emotional piece. And when you talk about um, going around with the... Uh, anger, mm-hmm. just what you were talking about, it immediately made me think of the five stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Would you say that there's some correlation there? Well, I think there's a possibility of that. If you could draw that out a little bit more in terms of how the stages of grief would correlate with the narcissist. I'm not well, sure. I think in, no. more in terms of the, the relationship with the narcissist, the, mm-hmm. um, the stages of grief, it's, isn't it denial, then anger, mm-hmm. then, remind me, I'm on the spot oh, now. Okay, but when you talk about the, the, the denial as part of that, I guess it could be part of the process because my view is, is the partner of a narcissist is constantly under attack. They're under attack from the outside, and they're under attack from internally from their mm-hmm. lack of self-worth. 
And so I think it as being sort of a siege mentality. You're always, and to break out of that is the challenge. I see that more as a constant state of pressure rather than a series of stages. But it certainly could be the other way as well in terms of the denial of the grief, etc. I don't know. I mean, the results are not in in terms of that. And when you and I talked privately, I said one of the hardest people to help is the narcissist themselves and then the people who end up in the relationship, who find themselves in the relationship with narcissists. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. find what I'm asking myself on behalf of my clients and listeners Mm -hmm. is... Is there a way to change the situation, to make the relationship better, whether it is a coworker, or a family member, or a spouse, mm-hmm. that narcissistic relationship? And first, I guess it would be if you have the opportunity to mm-hmm. look for a different relationship, particularly in the case of a coworker, because that seems to be the most easily changeable. Mm-hmm. How do you not get into that situation again? But if you are... How do you know if the person is actually changing? Well, I think you have to go by an internal barometer. Is based on your contacts with them in a time of personal reflection to see if you're feeling better as a result of connection with them. And that sometimes is done based on stepping back and taking a walk around the block, going for a drive and not putting the radio on, going through your life and seeing how does it feel to be with that person? Do I end up with an, an, Ameri- an emotional electrolux where all the energy is sucked out of me? Mm-hmm. Or do I look forward to being with that person? Do they make me feel better? Using your own internal thermostat is a nice way, mm-hmm. I think, of beginning to understand where you stand with it. To, right, because a healthy relationship doesn't drag you down. It inspires you right. to be better. And the other thing is people who are involved with the narcissist have to look at their own characteristics and in terms of their own passive dependency mm-hmm. and their dependent issues. Are, am I going to be okay if the relationship doesn't work out? And how do, I get to myself, how do I get to myself in a place where I really want the relationship, but if it doesn't, I know I'll survive. And when you have an appropriate, strong plan B, then you're in a better emotional space to to make a decision rather than to make a decision on your fear of abandonment as a sense from a place of desperation. Right. That would so make the, sense. The narcissist uh, and the, the codependent person have, a, have an affinity for each other. Exactly so. They're the opposite sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. I, I have to go now, but it's been a pleasure, I, and thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so glad that you joined us, Dr. Marty. For listeners, uh, Dr. Marty's on on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. You can catch him online as well. Terrific. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Lauren. Take care. You too. Good night. Bye-bye. So how can you tell if a manipulative person has changed? Dr. Marty was saying is if you feel it, you feel it in your gut, and intuitively we, we have that response. But I think sometimes with the narcissist, if we're involved with the narcissist, we can start to question that. Kind of like what Dr. Marty was saying about where did that emotional truck that just run me over come from? So if we're questioning our own responses, then our gut feeling, our intuition about whether something has changed might be a little bit left or right of north to begin with. So I want to offer something else. 
And this was in the research that I've done, again, with Dr. Simon. And I'm mentioning it because I, I just thought it was really a way to intellectualize the process if our gut or our intuition is a little bit off. And so the question is, how do, can you tell if a manipulative person has changed or if they are, in fact, just giving you one of those crumbs to keep you coming back? Or how do you know if this person is actually changing? <clears throat> and he offers up that there are three things to consider. One is regret. And regret has to do with a decision I make that cost me something. <clears throat> Excuse me, remorse is a decision or action that I take that injures somebody else and I feel badly about it. But the most important one to consider is contrition. This is the real deal. And the word comes from the Latin word contrite, which means a crushed spirit. And when the contrite person is experiencing is a wounding of their own heart. Their own heart is hurting precisely because of the hurt that they caused others, that they clearly see that they've caused others. They feel a wound because they know that they're the source of that wound, and their heart hurts. And that's the motivator for change, to change the behavior, the attitude, the sentiment, all kinds of things. And the contrite individual doesn't make excuses, doesn't minimize, justify, or try to save face, but humbly acknowledges their failures and shortcomings and sincerely strives to make amends. And those are things that we can feel. And the second thing is that the contrite individual makes genuine and sustained efforts to not only do better in the future, but also to be a better person. Contrition is more than just saying you're sorry or appearing sorrowful. It's proving through your actions that you're really sorry and working hard consistently to not find yourself feeling sorry for the exact same failure in the future. And my understanding is that contrition is unmistakable. There's no way to mistake it, and so you can understand it from an intellectual level as well as in your gut. And once you're able to do that, then you can recognize it more easily in the future. And wouldn't that be a great thing to recognize? Absolutely. So I'm just checking my time here, 7.52. I wanted to do a visualization tonight, and I think we'll have time for that. So I'm excited. It's been a few weeks since I've been able to do this. So if you're in a place where it's safe for you to close your eyes, I'm going to speak a little bit quickly through this because I want to make sure we have time for it. But if you can close your eyes and you're safe, please close your eyes, take a nice deep breath in, and think for a moment about a situation or a person that you feel completely comfortable around, someone who you feel confident with, and bring that person to mind right now. And this is someone who cannot intimidate you. You feel comfortable in every way. You feel comfortable in terms of your intelligence, your poise, communication. Take the opportunity to stand up straight, look into their eyes. Take a breath and let yourself get taller, stronger, even more sure of yourself. And notice that superior way you feel. You just feel wonderful. You're not intimidating to them, and they're not intimidating to you. You speak comfortably. You're intelligent. You're strong. Now, in this position, find something, a symbol, something that's an image that represents in your mind the feelings, the thoughts, 
the self-talk and the attitude of your humble confidence. confidence. Find that now. Just take a breath. And as you breathe in, imagine the symbol right there, whatever way it appears, and then just let the breath out. And take another breath in and let that symbol appear to you again. Let it get brighter and clearer, more comfortable. And now find a word that embodies this strength, this confidence that says you're unshakable, you're proud, you're intelligent, you're eloquent, you're sturdy. So now you have the word and the symbol. And create a bubble around you, a bubble of light. Let it glow and be beautiful and bright. In this bubble, you are unshakable. Breathe. Inside of this bubble, you're proud. Breathe. Inside of this bubble, you're intelligent. You have the intelligence and wit, composure. Breathe. Inside of this bubble, you're eloquent. You know just what to say. You always have the right words right there. Breathe that in. Eloquent. Inside of this bubble, you're sturdy. You cannot be manipulated or intimidated. You're sturdy. Breathe that in. Good. Now take yourself to a situation, a new situation with someone who used to intimidate you. Someone who you used to feel manipulated by or weak or intimidated by. Take yourself to that situation and right there, take a breath. Expand your bubble of light that is your bubble of confidence. Bring your word into your mind and the image that represents your humble confidence. Inside of this bubble, you're strong, unshakable, proud, intelligent, eloquent, and sturdy. You cannot be manipulated, harassed, or made to feel small or unimportant. Now that person is there who used to intimidate you. Make them smaller. And as you take the next breath, make yourself taller and stronger. Notice your posture right now, the way you hold your head, your shoulders, your arms. Notice the way that your eyes are able to look directly at this person, focused, serious, confident. Notice the position that you hold your shoulders up and back. Notice your breathing is steady and calm. Notice that your heart rate is steady and calm. Notice your self-talk, the words that you say to support your state. You are unshakable, proud, smart, eloquent, and sturdy. Notice your clarity. You're able to understand, think clearly, formulate your thoughts. Notice your voice. Your voice is strong, even, and sturdy. You listen intently, hear, and understand everything that's being said. You have a quiet confidence that tells them that you are unshakable. Your bubble of light is strong. It's bright. It protects you in every way. You are protected. Those who intimidate you, used to intimidate you, now give you strength. Inside of this bubble of light, you're protected from manipulation. You are protected. Breathe that in and exhale. Open your eyes when you're ready. So, what helps? A relationship of any kind with a manipulator or abuser can be difficult to figure out. If you're in a challenging relationship, I encourage you to seek out a qualified therapist to learn out about options for you. There are ways to change. And in closing, I would like to thank my sponsor, North Star Asset Management. I would like to thank Dr. Marty for calling in, and I'd like to thank you for joining me. 
set your calendar and tune in next week live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't want to miss the show. Until then, keep it light, smile, and enjoy. Good night. For those of you who are retired or close to it, have you taken the time to conduct a safe withdrawal rate analysis? If you're like me, you've spent a lifetime saving for retirement and now you want to make sure that it lasts. Few things are more important to the long-term success of your financial plan than choosing an appropriate withdrawal rate and establishing that rate early on can make all the difference. The investment advisors at North Star Asset Management in Panther Valley can help you determine what withdrawal rate is right for you. They've been working with retirees in the area for the past 30 years years. For more information, the number to call is 908-850-9991. That's 908-850-9991. Or find them on the web at nstarinvest.com. The views and opinions heard on the preceding program are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Oldies 1079 WOLD or SRN Communications.